Hello and welcome back to ESG Out Loud, the podcast for ESG Clarity. I'm Holly Downs, reporter for ESG Clarity, and today I'm joined by Eleanor Harry, Chief Executive of HACE. Thank you for being here today, Eleanor. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So today we'll be talking about HACE's AI-powered child labour index. So HACE uses data and AI to help investors monitor the risk of child labour in their portfolios. And first off, just off the bat, I thought it'd be good to cover some misconceptions about child labour so we can discuss how Hayes tracks the issue. There seems to be an assumption that child labour is in the same category as modern slavery. Can you explain why child labour is a standalone issue and why is the distinction between modern slavery and child labour important? Yeah, it's a really good question um, and a good one to start with, definitely. So just from a scale prevalence perspective, as we call it internally, Today, there is 160 million children in child labour globally between the ages of five and 17. This is a a very widespread issue across most global supply chains, so from a a raw materials or commodity perspective. Um, And to put that into perspective again, um, 112 million of those children are working, currently working in agriculture, which equates to about 70%. But moreover, 79 million of those children in child labour are also working in hazardous conditions. So absolutely, when we think about children working in hazardous conditions, we think of um, an aspect of them being forced, which is not necessarily true. So if we think about modern slavery as its definition, um, the definition of modern slavery is forced labour and forced marriage. And so there is absolutely an interlink between child labour and modern slavery under the forced labour, forced labour of children bracket. But that equates to about 3.3 million children. So absolutely, there's an overlap, but that means there's a further 157 million children that are captured under child labour that are not currently being captured under modern slavery. Essentially, not all child labour is forced. Um, so when, when it comes to kind of the, the, the misconceptions around it, I think it's very important to treat it as a standalone risk because of prevalence and business and investment risk. Um, but also, children are very different to adults when it comes to remediation um, and how we actually tackle that in global supply chains. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think people really understand the distinction because naturally I would assume that they were in the same group, but it's really important to make that distinction. Um, And I guess going into the motivation behind starting HACE and the Child Labour Index. um, So I know that you studied at the London College of Fashion and were introduced to labour supplies there, which is really cool. Um, Could you tell me why you chose to specialise in that area specifically? It's quite a niche market. um, So I guess what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, another great question. It does feel like a lifetime ago that I was at London College of Fashion. Um, So I've been working in child labour from multiple different perspectives for about 13 years. Um, um, Was very interested back in 2010 in the environmental aspect or the environmental impact of the fashion supply chain, um, which of course is still talked about rightly so now. Um, And I started working for a a small NGO in London uh, back in 2010. And the first project that I was put on was state-imposed child labour in the cotton industry in Uzbekistan. And that was the first time that I'd ever really heard of something like child um, labour, never mind kind of um, state-imposed. And certainly um, being exposed to child labour so deep in the supply chain in something like picking cotton, again, bottom tiers of the supply chain. We were looking at the time between the overlap, and I think that that's, that's really important when it comes to scrutiny or emerging scrutiny on supply chains, is ESG factors are interlinked. 
Mm. So as we start looking further into supply chains at environmental impacts, i.e. scope three emissions, mm. is likely where we'll see other labour rights abuses, particularly child labour, because it's so embedded. Um, so I remember kind of very clearly we were looking at um, um, the water impacts and the water relationship between cotton as a product. And yeah, and that's how it started. Then moved into trafficking of children in the fishing industry in West Africa, um, ready-made garment sector uh, in Bangladesh during 2013, which is when the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened. Um, and then since then worked across multiple different supply chains, agricultural commodities, um, but also mining extractives, etc across sub-Saharan Africa and, and South and Southeast Asia. Mm. That's very interesting the point you raise about the link between E, S and G, because when I first came into the industry, I kind of saw it as standalone letters. Um, and it's very interesting the way that social can link in with governance and then can link back to environmental. So getting into the logistics of HACE, could you explain to me how the index works? Sure. So we our aim with the index is to use data and artificial intelligence to provide data points on the risk of child labour from three different aspects. We have a company level specific index or, or benchmark and the three data points are comprised of a public perception risk. So from a company level perspective, a listed company level perspective, how negative, positive or neutral is the association with that company to, some, to, to the issue, specific issue of child labour? So it's not an incidence tracker, it is a perception. Of course, this is a reputational and brand mm. risk indicator. Um, our second risk indicator is what we call company disclosure. So it really is the governance um, data point around how well is that company acknowledging, identifying, but also taking action, proactivity and remediation around child labour from a governance perspective. Back to the interlinking mm. of how child labour and supply chains are, are interconnected with other areas of ESG. And third, our, our third um, and final risk indicator is a supply chain risk. So based on the listed company's sub-industry, um, we assign a list of goods that are proven to be produced with child labour to that sub-industry. So it's an inherent sub-industry level risk, which a company, of course, is assigned to via their stock ticker. So what is very interesting about the scores as a whole, and then we can talk about the stewardship's toolkit, which we also um, provide via the index, is... The three scores are interlinked and they work together. A little bit like the ESG mm. issues. Nice little parallel. Yeah, it is a parallel because one data point will not really cover the complexity of child mm. labour and it certainly won't cover complexity of supply chains. Um, but also the, the, the brand and reputational risk of a company is very different to a governance risk, which is very different to a supply chain risk. Mm. So as a really tangible example, if a company is within a high risk subsector, sub-industry, sourcing lots of goods that are proven to be produced with child labour, they're not taking or, or producing very good governance or reporting around this area and have a very negative perception or public perception of child labour, that doesn't pose well as a more of an investment risk um, mm or business risk as a whole. I think, again, so the, the scores interlink with each other. Um, the part of the index and part of the tool that we provide, which um, we think is really, really important, is not just providing data points and scoring, but what those scores mean and what to do with the scores. Mm. Because again, what does a score mean? Red, amber, green, for what? So what should I do with this? Mm -hmm. And we definitely don't expect people to be experts in child labour in the same way that we are. So we provide a stewardship toolkit. So essentially based on scores, based on 
commodities based on sub-industries, how can an investor then engage with the company and how can they steward responsibly that company as well? And could you tell me how asset managers or portfolio managers can actually access the index and use that within their portfolios? Sure. So we are... Our solution or the index is, is um, we have a web-based application, so a, um, a front end, mm -hmm. so we can delve further into company-specific profiles, um, sector-specific in, insights. We do some very kind of heavy training, per se, mm -hmm. um, on child labour that's also within the portal and the front end application, um, again, as a, as a kind of, as a piece of how child labour is different to modern slavery and how it's a, a standalone emerging risk. We also offer our solution out via API so it can be embedded into existing platforms and existing ESG software. Yeah, so that, that's, how it's, that's how it's served. Um, I think that we can talk probably a little bit more about the artificial intelligence we use mm. and the types of data that we use. Um, but our scores are updated very frequently as well. Um, so it means that when an asset manager would like to engage with a company, those scores mm. are up to date rather than being nine months old. Yeah, so I guess going back to the, your use of AI to track child labor within portfolios, and that's really interesting. Um, and it raises a lot of conversations about technology and ESG and how technology can be used to kind of identify ESG factors. Um, and I assume there's a lot of data that is involved with tracking child labor. So could you tell me how technology is helping HACE identify child labor within portfolios? We build, as I mentioned, we use um, lots of existing data, public data, which is really important because we're um, providing data points on listed companies. Mm. So um, I think that AI has a lot of cynicism around it, rightly so, because yes. if you let an AI model kind of run free without mm. having proper parameters around it or using it for kind of testing or random use cases, it can quite quickly run away. So I do, I can understand the, the cynicism around uh, around AI um, specifically in ESG and around synthetic data usage, etc. But how, and the reason why we use um, AI is for scale and automation. So it means that we can improve very quickly um, the accuracy of what we're doing, but also the scale and speed of what we can what we can do it for. And what I mean by that is it means that we can have a global universe of companies. So we can score every publicly listed company very, very quickly. Mm. Um, but I think that what is very important is being able to trace the data points back to source. So if we are providing ESG data ratings and scoring, is why did why, why did a company have that score? What was all the mm. data provided that was that contributed to the score? And of course, when we think about AI, it's very much, it can be seen as a very black box solution. So I can't see into it what really happened. Mm. So how we use AI is we create rules-based algorithms. So we use um, different techniques or composite AI, so lots of different types, so from large language models through to natural language processing um, and kind of other various bits and pieces. But what I mean by that is we create rules based with them. So every single piece of data goes through the same rules based and we can explain what the rules base was. And what that really means for users is they can understand the data that was fed in and where the subjectivity of the data was. Mm. And I think that this is key into building trust around AI solutions and AI technology is what was the algorithm doing? Why was the algorithm used? Mm. What was the data that fed into the algorithm? So therefore I can track what the output is and I can trust it. So we build in something called um, graph technology and graph databases. Um, and that means that again, every single users can access every single data point that fed into a specific company score. 
Yeah, and that's really interesting because, I mean, we could do a whole podcast topic about this. And I know there's a lot of, sort of negative press around AI at the moment, and it's amazing to see how you're actually using that to aid the company. Um, I guess moving on from AI and to those who are using it. So what action would you like to see from investors who are using HACE? Because um, I think it's, you know, it raises this topic where it's all and well if people use the index and they track their child labour, but what do you actually want them to do with that data? Because I know there's a lot of discussions around divestment, investment, blah, 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 and also engaging with companies who may be using child labour within their portfolios. So what's your message for those? Like, what do you want them to actually do with the data? It's a really great question. And, you know, ultimately, we, Hayes's mission is the sustainable eradication of child labour in global supply chains. Mm. It has been. It always will be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're still talking about 10% of global children. So we have a mm. long way to go. Yeah. Um, not just from a risk, um, a business and investment risk perspective, um, but kind of from a wider stakeholder uh, view as well. So really, I think the the the, the main motivation for Hayes is engaging with the investment community is because we really do believe that the owners of companies as a stakeholder group have the right leverage uh, to be able to channel with the companies that they ultimately own mm. um, to create positive change. Yeah. And we really do see that a lot in the investment community. So for us, providing data points on child labour not only starts stakeholders thinking about child labour as a standalone mm. issue, but it also encourages meaningful dialogue between investor and investee, mm. um, which again, we believe and we have seen positive change that, that happens. I think that uh, by providing the stewardship toolkit, certainly, we are helping asset managers, wealth managers, asset owners in performing that meaningful dialogue. So um, providing them with the right tools, not just the data points to be able to, to have that meaningful dialogue and then ultimately see a, um, a change in company operations or the way that companies, listed companies, are tackling the issue of child labour within their mm. supply chains. Yeah, and I totally agree with you there about large asset management companies who have a very big role they have a lot of tools they have a lot of equipment that they can use to actually you know use this index and track it in their portfolios so why don't they do it you know why they're such large companies they can do whatever they want really um so it's a really interesting topic again like another massive podcast you can talk about with that um and i guess that kind of links in with the kind of duty that companies have and also stakeholder pressure so Factors in child labour, I know it's a massive, there's a lot of awareness about that at the moment, um, especially like, for example, Gen Z, the kind of coined the sustainability generation. Um, so I did, an, I did a podcast a while ago for ESG Clarity, where I talked to Gen Z, specifically those in climate youth groups, um, about their measures for the investment industry. And I got this, uh, I was very clear that ESG issues are now on the radar of, you know, Gen Z, younger people who are more willing to kind of cause action the more willing to make changes um so do you think a great greater awareness of child labor amongst young people is putting pressure on investors to for example use Hayes? going going a little bit off topic yeah i wrote my undergraduate thesis when i was at london college of fashion mm. on the social responsibility of child labor within fashion supply chains and i looked at the role of government and kind of legislation more widely, um, I looked at consumers mm. and businesses themselves. Yeah. So these were the three kind of stakeholders that I was that I was looking at 
during my, my undergraduate thesis. By the way, there's no conclusion on that. It, it's... <laughs> It's it's everyone's responsibility, yes. you know, as a as a kind of wider. If you think about three stakeholders and take away investors, because that was, mm. um, again, a long time ago. But I think that child labour as a as a whole, and I, and I think that ESG or certainly the kind of interlink um, intersectionality between ESG issues and certainly supply chains is there is a it's a multi stakeholder effort. So from a consumer's perspective, for, for certainly if we think about from a company, um, if a company operates on a B2C model and they are owned by um, certain investors, of course, a consumer pressure or boycott will, of course, have a revenue impact and therefore a business risk for both the business and the investor. And we have seen that. Um, I think that when it comes to, and I'm not qualified to talk about this, but um, when it comes to climate and environmental issues, that has really been pushed into the forefront of the agenda. However, when it, when it comes to social issues, um, I don't think that we have seen as big a uh, consumer pressure on businesses as we have as we did twenty years ago. Um, yeah, so I think that there was a there was. If I just kind of give the Nike example, we track this kind of data. But if I ask kind of a, uh, someone on the street, um, just anyone of the general public, tell me which company that you associate with with child labour, and they usually give a fast fashion company. Yeah. But they're kind of very much the same. They're the same companies all the time. Mm. And so we track this with data, actually, with University of Manchester, one of our big research partners. You know, why is it that we get these companies all the time? Yeah. And it's because there was a kind of huge lift back in the early 2000s on huge kind of issues around around child labour. Mm. And then it kind of dropped off and then picked up again in Rana Plaza factory and again, same fast fashion. Interesting. And then we've seen kind of it, the drop off and then some mm. high risk profile commodities, etc. So I think that it becomes like a it becomes a wave. Um, I think child labour more often than climate, which seems to have an uptick. Mm. It's interesting because legislation is upticking when it comes to human rights, but it's not necessarily being picked up as much for, from a consumer perspective. However, back to supply chains having more scrutiny mm. um, and why we're talking about Gen Z is, you know, very famous celebrities now questioning CEOs of companies about, yeah. well, where did that raw material come from? Mm. And these are high risk commodities. So I do think that we have a long way to go with the wider human rights or certainly child labour and supply chain debate. But I do think that it's moving and it's becoming an increasing risk, um, mm. not just for businesses, but also for consumers. Um, I really believe that the world is changing for the better, mm. or hopefully will be. Um, and so I believe that, that certainly younger generations have a, have a big role and also a willing role to play mm. because these are the future investment managers. They're the future asset owners, future CEOs of companies. Mm. So from a wider educational perspective, there's a lot more now on all of ESG rather than, than kind of just select pockets of yeah. something. Mm. Um, I appreciate that probably doesn't answer your question, but no, <laughs> that's my actually, viewpoint on it. It is interesting. It raises a couple of questions in my mind actually about even like social media, like the impact of that. Do you mm -hmm. think social media plays a massive role in raising awareness to these issues? Because like you say, child labour is a standalone issue. Mm. And do you, that, do you think that might be the reason why it gets less attention than, for example, climate change? Yeah, possibly. I mean, climate change is massive, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, I think we talk 
again, I'm not qualified to talk about this, so I'm trying to keep away from it. Um, and maybe I was a lot a decade ago, but definitely not now. Um, because climate change, I guess, as a whole is is um, huge. You know, it, it can be multiple different different things. But I guess from social media, absolutely. But from a wider news outlet, you know, how often do we see climate um you know, being kind of talked about from a from a media perspective versus mm-hmm. social governance um, issues, and of course, this is why we track public perception mm. because public perception has is a perception that is influenced by social media or media. I do think, obviously, younger generations looking at different types of media outlets. Um, we've done some some kind of work around this, and it's very very interesting and can differ to mainstream media. Mm. So, you know, I think that it remains to be seen on. Um, we had some some kind of I can't really name companies, but no. some some companies and some fast fashion companies mm. where we saw you know labels sewn inside of yeah. things and etc. And it blows up on social media, and mm. the impact of that is probably a little bit um, is wider and a bit more measurable, mm. let's say. Um, but I really do believe that future generations. Why do I care so much about children? I work with child labour all day, every day. Because mm-hmm. I think that the potential of future generations is absolutely massive. Wow, that's very impactful. So what's your message for asset managers who don't use the tool? Obviously, I know your <laughs> instant reaction is, please, can you use it? But <laughs> it's not actually. But <laughs> oh, is yeah. it not? Okay. Um, but yeah, so like your future ambitions for Hayes, do you see it becoming a global tool? Global tool? Um, used by asset managers hopefully Um, and how do you think it can get to that place it's a great it's a great question Um, and I think that there's a wide ecosystem of of the investment community so from kind of asset manager to asset owner um, you know pension funds to wealth managers to Mm. investment consultants to you know trade bodies and regulators so it's again a wide um, ecosystem globally yeah I, I mean absolutely I think that because we, because of the the power of the the artificial intelligence that we use, and having a global universe of companies, it opens up different markets for us. Equally, um, of course, from a from a kind of global universe, not just from a scoring and a haste perspective, but it enables us to kind of um, provide a service to global asset managers, you know, mm. rather than specific um, jurisdictions. So I think that that's kind of a um, really important because child labour is everywhere in every single country in most commodities it feeds into wider global supply chains so it's not just concentrated into one jurisdictional one Mm. geographical area one commodity Mm. so um and just as an example of this the canadian forced labour and child labour and supply chains act that was come into force on the first of of january so there's again kind of big legislative market and a big mm. jurisdiction market that's kind of been opened up a little bit more for hace so absolutely um at the moment we're working with um, asset managers and some wealth managers who are the vanguard of sustainable investing um who are very interested as child labor is an emerging standalone risk mm-hmm. and thinking about the difference between child labor and modern slavery because the same commodities that are covered under forced labor are not covered under child labour. Mm. So again, it's kind of opening a risk portfolio and a risk appetite going, oh, this actually isn't covered with the data that I'm using at the moment. Um, so I think that the more that we can push this message of 
child labour is not forced labour and it's not therefore it's not modern slavery always. It's a smaller, much smaller subsection. So the commodities that we can see where child labour is, there is no forced labour. Mm. So therefore, that risk still prevails. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been amazing working with the um, investment community um, and, and the asset managers that, that we're currently working with by at the Vanguard of Sustainable Investing. Um, and it's great to have their feedback on the product and and seeing how they're engaging and how they're using stewardship and then how we can continue to modify and develop the product for specific mm. needs. Yeah. Um, and that comes from universe expansion into private markets, into other areas of ESG, certainly social, um, again, just because of the way that we've built technology. Um, so yeah, it's, it'd be great to have kind of more mm. more asset, of course, more asset course, managers and wealth please. managers. Um, but it would be great to kind of um, mm. engage a little bit further as well with the asset Definitely. owner community and um, and the pension fund community. That's a lovely note to end on. So thank you for joining me, Eleanor. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of ESG Out Loud next month.